All right, my friends and family. All right, another beautiful day. What is up? What's good? Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I am your host that you love the most, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week together. And honestly, I wouldn't want to do Bitcoin or crypto any other way. I, I would never want to do this journey alone anymore. I love doing the journey with you guys. Together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most brilliant people, influential leaders, politicians, anyone who understands this and can teach us something to understand where this thing came from, where we are right now in the larger scheme of things, and where the hell we're going. And today, to talk to us about one of my most followed projects, actually, and I'm so excited that we have had the opportunity to have you on the show, uh, Ronil Rumberg. Thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. I'm, I'm excited to talk about music, audio, uh, uh, um, different blockchains, how to break up blockchains into different types of layers where you have content and you have like metadata that's referencing that content. But to give a little bit of background, and actually I want to talk about like how to start a, a company in a business because in crypto it's very different. Um, you co-founded the Kleiner Perkins Early Stage Seed Fund at KP. You were responsible for seed investments into the blockchain and AI world, including Lightning Labs. Uh, you attended, so you understand Bitcoin scaling on a, a smart scaling is better than fast scaling. You have a very deep understanding. You attended Stanford University and you worked at a, at a you actually co-founded a company called Backslash. Um, and you've held software engineering roles at a number of venture-backed companies. Um, but today we're going to be talking about one of the, the most interesting and probably the most farthest ahead in your, in the, the audio, in the music space, in all types of audio. Eventually we could, you could explain to me how podcasting could, could benefit from Audius. We're going to be talking about Audius and it's the first decentralized community owned and artist controlled music sharing platform that's designed to help up and coming artists publish their work and connect directly with fans. Uh, the team, platinum selling pop artists, tech entrepreneurs, everyone involved. Um, you It's kind of like an alternative to SoundCloud, but it, it's in a full decentralized way. You have multiple layers, but the protocol will live forever, owned and operated by a fully decentralized community of artists, developers, and listeners. So you got the different folks that provide the checks and balances that every industry and community needs. What, what am I missing here? I think you, uh, you summarized it really well there, man. Um, uh, I think the, the only thing I'd add is uh, the, the product went live and, and the network went live about two years ago now. And, and today is serving around 7 million listeners every month and around 250,000 artists have, have shared uh, so far as soon, you know, knock on wood to be crossing a million tracks on, on the network. So it's, uh, uh, it's been really, really exciting and humbling and, and, uh, oh, I, you know, so there's so many ways I could describe it, but it's just so amazing to see the artist community kind of rallying around this community and making it matter. Right. It's like, you know, you can build the thing. And that's kind of what I learned with, with backslash, the thing you mentioned was that you can build the thing and, 
uh, uh, you know, people might not use it. No one used uh, that backslash thing. It was like a Venmo for Bitcoin is, is how I describe it. Sort of a social I love uh, resolution layer on top of a uh, Bitcoin wallet. But, um, but yeah, no one used it. So, you know, we should be using uh, that, though, that, that it's but maybe that's a timing thing. Maybe. Yeah, it was 2014. Not ready. Yeah. Wait, that was 2014? Um, so, yeah. Okay, then we definitely weren't ready at that point. <laughs> People were still debating whether this thing was going to even, if this thing is even an industry, if it's going to succeed. But wait, have you, and this is a very important lesson. I, I didn't think we'd be learning lessons so early into the show, but timing, like timing is everything. When you are at KP leading investments, when you are starting your own things, uh, you work with companies, you probably make your own investments now on the side. Like, like how do you know if it's the right time for that company to be starting? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I don't think I'm the best person to answer that. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because I, I think Backslash was far too early. Um, Audius, I think, was also too early when we got started. The project started four years ago, um, and it took two years to actually get a product out the door and, and into folks' hands because we felt that it needed to be decentralized from day one to be able to fulfill the value proposition that we had, right? Um, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we did it. And, and to your point earlier, I, I think it's helped uh, this network kind of uh, uh, stay at the vanguard or the forefront of, of music and crypto, uh, just because we were the first to try to go after this and, and have a bit of a, a runaway lead now. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, I think I, I've made the mistake of being too early twice. Um, I don't know, honestly. I mean, clearly I didn't get better at, uh, you know, <laughs> figuring this out the second time around than the first time around. Um, I think I, uh, 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 have a tendency to, you know, just get enamored by certain technologies and ideas, uh, irrespective of, of, you know, like yeah. all of the, uh, analytical ways you should be thinking about things and, uh, happen to be luckier the second time around than the first time around, but like not a whole lot changed. I just wanted to, you know, wanted to build this thing and, and, uh, managed to, to convince a couple of friends to come along for the ride. And yeah. Timing is everything was, was the technology not available yet, even even blockchain technology as it is now is constantly being developed and updated and we're, we're learning new things. It's like, we're learning how to do things better and smarter. Let's kind of like dive right into it a little bit. The biggest problem that any type of data on blockchain solution that need, where the data needs to be referenced and changed and needs to be malleable uh, traditionally has been almost impossible to do because going back to like the early Satoshi days, you know, when Satoshi dice had first come out playing dice on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, people thought that was spam because it was not as important as larger transactions. So, I mean, I just literally right before this show, I was in the other room with a group of people who are starting the, the coolest NFT project I've ever seen. I'm not going to give blow, blow the load yet, but, but the, the, you know, one of the, uh, my partner, Tom was like, we've had on the show was like, okay, it looks great, but you're not hosting the data on the blockchain. Right. And he like laughed because it's kind of known that in crypto right now, you can't really host large data. It's just going to be referencing. How did you solve this problem? 
Yeah, it's uh, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, you you can uh, store references on chain, but at, at this point, I think the content catalog on the Audius network is about thirty terabytes of of data. Um, you just couldn't. There's no like chain that you could uh, re reasonably have all that like sitting on chain and in a way that's like easily queryable and and uh, uh, fetchable, right? So. Uh, the way we solved this, um, and, and to your question of what were the enabling technologies here as well, um, it was really IPFS that that uh, opened the door here. So um, IPFS uh, uh, let us create this kind of resolution structure that allows um, clients accessing the Audius network to not have to know where content is coming from, but to be able to look it up. Um, then we paired that with this um, uh, kind of uh, community-operated node architecture within Audius. So there's a community of folks that actually run these nodes on the Audius network that host content and metadata and everything else and keep it pinned on IPFS. So it's sort of like a crude CDN is, is how I would describe it. And again, this was like in 2018 that we're, we're building this out. So there was no Filecoin, there was no, uh, uh, none of these things we have now, but um, uh, uh, this architecture has actually taken us, you know, quite quite far, and it's continuing to scale reasonably uh, uh, reasonably well. But um, uh, that's how you're we're able to decentralize the storage of content as well, um, with the caveat that uh, uh, you know availability is sometimes you know there's there's like a you know in a in a very long tail of of cases availability is sometimes problematic. So let's we're going to be able to literally blow everyone's minds right now and explain the difference between web two and then why blockchain technology is building out this new web three and why we couldn't do it before the internet that we're using right now the internet that we all know today is largely built off of tcip and a bunch of other protocols and and i'd love you to i want you to take over this but uh in 2015 or 16 it was a crypto R&D firm, Protocol Labs, that invented this new protocol called IPFS, the inter interplanetary, uh, uh, what I forget what it stands file for. File system. File system, yeah. But that's literally right there. That is where we move over to Web3. So what is it about IPFS that if like 15 years ago I said I, I invented IPFS, what couldn't we do then that we can do now? Yeah, so so I'll I'll try and uh, uh, summarize this with with some analogies. So when you, yeah, it really is, it really is, and and I can't uh, overstate that enough. Um, I mean, this is this idea of content addressing. So anyway, like if you think about in a web two sort of context, how do you get a file on the web? You have a URL, it's like https colon slash slash whatever website dot com slash file. Uh, the file is inextricably linked to where it's hosted because the domain that, you know, google.com or whatever it is, um, actually resolves to a specific set of servers on the web. Um, and then the path after the domain gets you to a specific file. Uh, what IPFS is saying is saying, Hey, um, if we took a hash of that file that uniquely references the file and uh, we should be able to look up the file on the network without knowing where it is. So uh, uh, by breaking that relationship, think like if you knew the name of a given file and you could look it up on, on uh, uh, you know, this worldwide uh, IPFS cloud um, thing without knowing where it is, 
you now can can uh, create resilient decentralized systems, right? Where there's high turnover of say who is actually hosting the file, for example, but uh, it remains referenceable and and uh, uh, fetchable. Can this be applied to other industries outside of of uh, of audio? We think so. Yeah, I think any. Um, uh, uh, and, and for us, uh, for the, the audience network, this was, uh, an enabler, a key enabler because, uh, uh, the network is fully decentralized, right? So, so, uh, there's no part of audience that's run by, uh, uh, the company that I founded a few years ago, we built this first open source implementation of the network and post launch that's, that's, uh, in the hands of the community now to, uh, uh adapt and change. And, you know, we, we, uh, contribute as well, of course, but, um, uh, I think the same architecture pattern could work really well for other forms of media, um, like podcasts you mentioned, but that's, that kind of fits, uh, uh more straightforwardly. Um, I think we're going to see like a decentralized YouTube in the future as well. Um, uh, uh, a similar architecture could work equally well there. The bandwidth requirements for streaming video are much, much greater than audio. Um, and I, I don't know that IPFS uh, is necessarily ready to handle that today, um, which is why I think we haven't seen that happen just yet. But, um, you know, it's the same Think about, think back to like the dial-up uh, internet days, right? Music uh, led the way because audio content is actually very well compressible, right? Um, like 320 kbps, uh, you know, which is a, a very high fidelity form of, of compressed um, uh, audio. It's like a megabyte or so per per minute, right? Like it's not, it's not that much data, yeah. but 4K or 8K video is, you know, hundreds of megabytes per minute. So there, there's a different scale necessary for, for those things to work. Audio is an interesting animal because you would think that when video and audio can merge together, that audio would have disappeared. But in fact, audio, I mean, there's a, when my producers wanted me to do this show on video, it fundamentally changed the show. I like being in a room on my own and just talking through a microphone. You can slow the show down. You can think better. You can, there's no rush, but when you're on camera, it's different. So audio, you see radio stations, you see well-produced audio. Um, and then the technology behind how audio works from a, from a Mac, from a, uh, uh, an analog perspective hasn't really changed like 20 years ago. I was on the audiovisual squad of my high school and the same mixers. And I don't need an engineer here because I learned how to do it. It hasn't changed. It's so interesting. It really is. And uh, uh, there's actually a technical explanation there too. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a theoretical ceiling on how high quality audio can be. Like our ears actually cannot perceive audio beyond a, oh. a certain quality threshold. And uh, we reached that threshold with CDs like, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, so it's actually, uh, um, it, it's such an interesting thing because the, there hasn't been a need for the technology around audio recording, mixing, et cetera, to really get better because we're already, we're already at the theoretical maximum. Yeah, you could get better, but we can't hear the difference as humans. So it's like, um, it's kind of an interesting, uh, kind of an interesting thing. It really is. Um... My friend, his name is Peter Foley. He's a, a famous Canadian artist. And he was telling me just yesterday that he makes 
I think it's $4,000 on Spotify for every million downloads. That's it. Like, how how do artists make money? Like, he he's a, an amazing Canadian. He's been doing it for decades. Like, he writes music for movies. He wrote music for some of the movies that I'm producing, too. $4,000 for every million downloads. What? Where did... Ah, I'm speechless. Like, where is yeah. that Spotify? Is that the record labels? He was explaining to me that the reason that is is because a very long time ago, Spotify made a deal with all the record labels for like dirt cheap, and they've been able to like maintain that. I don't know how true that is. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's true. Um, in that I've I've seen the economics you just mentioned play out with so many of the artists that that uh, we've gotten to know over the years now. Um. And, and I think you can explain it by, by uh, uh, going up to kind of the 30,000 foot level. Um, music as an industry generates $42 billion a year. Um, and, and artists only capture about 12% of that total. So think about that. Like the, the people who are actually making the, the product, uh, 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 designing, making, you know, putting out to the world the product that that actually is generating all the value only capture 12% of uh, um, of of the money that's being earned in the space um and and to your question i think it's it's uh there's no single party at fault here um no this is a massive global trust deficit that can be solved i mean you're talking about 88% that's going towards what the cost of curation because the record labels and Spotify know how to find the best artists that what you would like and then bring it to the top. Okay. I'm willing to pay for that. I actually agree. There needs to be better curation, especially for podcasting. There's no curation out there. There's no method to find good podcasts. Just like Spotify does probably the best job at discovery, just like a bookstore. So a bookstore caught charges extra money because they work on the discovery and the curation for you. They know what you like. You walk in, you can read employee reviews. You can, you're not seeing billions of books. Same thing with podcasting and music, but it can't be 88%. It, it can't be 88%. Like there has to be, is that what Audius is disrupting? That's, uh, that's exactly what oh. Audius is disrupting. And, um, you know, I, I think the reason things have, have uh, uh, come to be this way, it's actually not, not that they've come to be this way. They've just always been this way. Um, like 50 years ago, the economics of music looked the, the same. And uh, in a world where there was significant capex required to actually produce a, a record, think about it. Like you had to have a factory to press like physical vinyl, and then you had to put that in trucks and send that to retail stores. There was only so much shelf space at the retail store that can actually host uh, uh, content. And similarly, there were only a finite number of radio waves available, right? Like how many radio stations were there for people to discover content? But what digitization of music has meant is that the marginal cost of reproducing music is zero. Um, and uh, uh, the, um, the economics of the industry haven't changed at all in that. And you, you ask the question, like, well, where's all that, where's all the money that was going to pay like people producing shit in a factory yeah. and driving trucks around and, and all this, where's that going? Um, it's, uh, it's going to the same intermediaries that formed to, to help. There's, um, you know, when, when, uh, Charlie, let's say you have a song on Spotify and I listen to it today. Um, what happens is, so my listen 
is recorded in a, a ledger that Spotify maintains. At the end of the quarter, they go and reconcile, oh, here's all the listening that's happened. Here's all the money that came in. Um, let's, uh, you know, run this through the big magic formula, um, cause there are different, different licensing agreements they have, have different payout rates. So if you distribute through a label, you get paid a higher rate than if you distribute independently. Um, so they do their little math, uh, uh, payout to a so-called distributor. If you were signed to a label, the distributor pays to your label, then the label pays, uh, uh, to you. Um, and, and then there's this whole other, I won't get into, uh, the other side of this, which is publishing. And there's a, a few extra intermediaries there, but net net, it means you're getting paid like a year after that stream happened. You don't know who I am, where I am, how I found your music. You have no insight whatsoever into that. You're literally just getting a check in the mail and you're like, okay, you know, I guess that's, that's what the gods of Spotify decided uh, I should, I should get, you know, um, that's, that's, that core issue is what Audius is trying to turn on its head by giving artists a direct channel and the opportunity to build a relationship with fans that is portable between different user experiences and different uh, contexts. Um, we hope we can we can give artists and, and creators a self-sovereign distribution channel, right? You can vertically integrate your stack around uh, uh, this decentralized tool chain in a way that no one can take that away from you. No one can change the rules about how it works on you. You guys moved from Ethereum to Solana. Why? Throughput, um, plain and simple. Uh, uh, we actually the first version of the network launched on this thing called POA network, which is a uh, uh, Ethereum sidechain. Um, you know, even from the, the early days, you know, the, the gas costs on, on Ethereum were, you know, a bit problematic for a use case like this, right? Uh, if every time someone uploaded a, a song, they had to pay yeah. $30 or $50 of gas um, or whatever, that would, that would cause some problems, right? So, uh, we started on POA network, but maxed out um, things things there. And and uh, about a year ago, um, kind of with uh, uh, with the the community ran a bake off to try and figure out like what you know what can actually support the scale that we uh, that we see coming in the future. Um, ended up selecting Solana, and and so far we've been really uh, really really happy with that choice. Um, I think today our users are publishing, uh, you know, two to 400,000 transactions a day on, on Solana wow. and the network's able to, to handle that, um, you know, pretty, pretty well. So, so yeah, it's, it's not without its, it's uh, tumult, right. It reminds me a lot of the early days of Ethereum, you know, uh, in, in 2015 and, and 2016, um, building on Ethereum was really hard, right. But it got a lot easier. And today it's like, I mean, it's, it almost feels like, uh, just writing JavaScript, right. With all yeah. the test structures and yeah. Well, this is actually something I want to understand. What is the attitude? So you have Audius, and I'm going to look at Audius as this decentralized ecosystem, right? And Audius can actually potentially move from blockchain to blockchain if if there were if something was. How do you, as a community or you as a company, look at these blockchains? Because you could have started your own chain, or multiple chains with side chains, and have a whole development R and D spend millions and millions of dollars a year to do it on your own or you can go to these chains and say hey this is us this is what we need you build it for us is that the future of a multi-chain world will these chains be kind of like the underbelly plumbing for the global web 3 
where they have to actually compete with each other. And if we would have had multiple internets at the start, maybe things would have looked different. Such a good question. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, uh, so I, I think the key trade-off um, between these two paths, and we, we considered both paths uh, uh, deeply, right? With a, the two paths being yeah. kind of become our own kind of self-sovereign network and, and blockchain effectively, or uh, uh, kind of continue to use third-party uh, tools and, and structures. Um, the, the, big, the big trade-off there is around composability. Um, so we get a, a significant number of benefits um, in the Solana ecosystem now because USDC is there. For example, um, there's interoperability with Ethereum through um, uh, this this wormhole bridge structure. Um, How does that work? Uh, yeah, so so you can actually like Do royalties uh, move... convert from chain to chain and things like that. Yeah, yeah, oh. and you can even move uh, ERC twenty tokens between like Ethereum and Solana and What's vice versa, called? which is really neat. A wormhole. Solana, Ethereum. I want to yeah. tell this to the NFT project I was just meeting with. Oh, this is so cool. Yeah, so any ERC20 token, actually any ERC721 as well, can can now have a Solana mirror um, and and vice versa, uh, which is really cool. There's, there's kind of uh, sky's the limit with these things, which is, uh, which is awesome. But um, but that that was the thing that we we felt made it worthwhile um, to to give up some level of of control of not like Audi is not being its own vertically integrated uh, uh, blockchain at, at the center um, because uh, we get these benefits from now, for example, third party developers could build um, NFT minting tools that mint against the, the content that's on Audius. And there are folks that have built that. There are even folks wanting to build like really label DAO structures. Uh, so think like you and your friends could fund uh, uh, work that artists do and then uh, uh, directly capture back a, a, some, some percentage of the on-chain royalty stream, um, you know, without having to someone, sign agreements and yeah. Could someone be exclusively on Audius? Yeah, they could. Yeah, um, uh, we have uh, uh, a growing stable of artists that are that have been making that choice. Um, but ultimately, what what we're doing is is uh, motivated by artist choice and and freedom. Uh, there's nothing that forces someone to do that, right? Um, most yeah. of our artists distribute across many platforms, um, but are choosing to release some segment of their catalog exclusively on on Audius as a way to build following and kind of motivated by the belief that a fan on Audius is worth more than a fan elsewhere because they control that relationship and they they have the opportunity to do what they want with it. I'd love to develop a scripted crypto series on Audius directly. I keep putting all my good ideas on this podcast, forgetting that other people listen, not just you and I, because all my <laughs> ideas people are taking, but I'd love to develop like a scripted series teaching people through entertainment but then teaching them because they have to also use Audius and utilize that. And then eventually we could, uh, a film could be created out of that or an NFTs could be minted from the show, the characters directly inside Audius. Like, let's do this. This could be really, really cool. Dude, let's, uh, let's do it. Uh, it's all possible, uh, uh, you know, when, when users own and, and control the means of distribution, right? It's like anyone's, 
anyone's idea is is uh, you know able to be built, tested, uh, rolled out, and um, yeah, it's uh, we've just been blown away by the things the community has come up with. I mean, things that I never would have anticipated. Uh, there yeah. was an artist that wanted to make a piece of content only listenable above a certain altitude uh, uh, so that you'd have to be in a plane to, oh, that's to listen so cool. to it. Yeah, right? And uh, I was trying to figure out, I was like racking my head, what is the oracle that you could use to like, you know, decide whether someone is well, you in have the in air? Your iPhone, the durometer thing, right? Oh, does it? I didn't know that it, it has an elevation altitude thing. Oh, wow. I was um, using it in Colorado. We actually figured out a much stupider way to uh, uh, to do this, which is um, there's a finite number of ISPs that service airplanes. Oh, like that's Panasonic, and uh, there are a couple yeah. of others. So you can just look up the IP that someone's uh, requesting against. Um, and I was like, wow, I, yeah, I, I <laughs> never, never in, in my life would have come up with uh, uh, something that creative. But like, you know, what yeah. a cool way to create a... a you know, a new experience around music listening, right? Like imagine if, uh, and I, I unfortunately can't yet share who the artist is because uh, he's, he's still working on this, but um, you know, I can imagine a day where like people are getting on planes just to go listen to this song, right? Like how funny would, would that be? I mean, be? the opportunities are endless. You could, I mean, you could geofence and have it where if you're only at sea, could you listen? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, you can do some really cool stuff with this. I mean, you can do a whole podcast based on just people in the air because then you know who your listeners are. If I knew all my listeners were literally people that are on play, I'd be going, hey, guys, we're going to have a great flight today. Let's talk about different things, snakes on a plane, you know. <laughs> but then you can have the sponsors. And then as a podcast listener on a plane, I want advertisers for me. Like, that's what's great. Oh, hey, this new neck pillow. Oh, hey, this deal of business class flights to France. Like, there's, that's the biggest problem because as much as advertisers struggle with finding their audience, I don't want to go on Facebook and see ads for like, you know, I don't want to tell you what I see ads for because, you know, you don't want to see ads for that anymore. But I want ads for me. Same thing with audio. I want ads for me. I do. I want discovery. I want to buy stuff. I want to know stuff. I want to learn stuff. I want to be able to go to Barnes and Noble and it, to, and it starts to know it's like, Oh, you've been reading this and you've been liking this and you've been hating this. This is what you should read. I like that. I I do too, man. And, and I think that's such a great segue to uh, the podcast bit that we, we kind of started on. Um, I think all so many of the problems I just described around uh, musicians and and uh, artists apply like even more so in in the podcast realm, right? Like the analytics that you're able to get about who's listening to your podcast and how they're finding it, it's kind of a kind of a joke, right? Uh, uh, and that's also why you know even um, the podcast ad networks like they can update the ad spots based on when someone is fetching the content, but they have no clue about who is, is fetching the content. So there's, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, um, it's a whole new world. And I guess, unlike you, I would be the one that would say like, Hey, let me just pay this person five bucks a month. So I don't have to listen to ads because I, I hate them. Right. But like giving that choice and, and opportunity to, to make choices like that. Um, uh, I mean, that's, that's, uh, 
um, it's all the same bones as as music, right? It's just, you know longer form of audio, but it's still it's still audio, and all the same tools actually you know translate really nicely here. That's a good point. Yeah, you're not you're not singing, but but you're talking. Yeah, it's it's the same. You would argue that it's it's more it's more music because you're learning things too. Um, I want to switch. I want to switch takes to talk about Bitcoin a little bit here. You were mining Bitcoin in your college dorm room. You worked. You understand Bitcoin fundamentally. Um, worked with things like Lightning Labs. Uh, I'm. I'm. I want to tell you my perspective and tell me like kind of rip it apart or or whatever. Um, I'm comfortable where Bitcoin is at. I'm happy with what it has become and what it wants to be or what it will be. And it's like the hardest, most decentralized censorship resistant, but unchanging. And I don't, as I'm holding Bitcoin for, for five years, 10 years and decades, the more you don't want changes that you have to kind of worry about. Um, but then there are things that are being worked on, like smart scaling is better than fast scaling. Is that kind of where the world is going? There's space in the market for different value propositions and stability is a value proposition that's really important. And Bitcoin is the only thing in the market that's that's serving that. Um, if you ask me, you know, where would you put your eggs for 50 years, right, where you didn't have to think about uh, uh, what would happen? Bitcoin is like so obviously the choice, right? Um, um, uh, I mean, who knows how many forks and whatever else uh, Ethereum would have gone through by then, uh, let alone any of the next generation um, uh, uh, blockchains. But I also think uh, uh, compute as a use case uh, requires like, uh, uh, you know, an increased rate of kind of innovation, iteration, improvement True. Um, versus like the, 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 the use case for Bitcoin being this like just like you said, uh, uh, this like reliable, um, kind of uh, uh, indefatigable uh, store of value. Like, I mean, I think there's a reason no one else tries to to be stable is because there's the winner. <laughs> the winner there is like clear, stable in terms of like, you know, the the way that the network functions and and operates. And uh, um, I mean, think about uh, Ethereum is about to try yeah. to become like like fully proof of stake, migrate all the existing state to this new um, uh, structure, started, right? then shard itself. And it's like, I mean, it's just so much, there's so much risk there, right? And don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I love I love that they are still innovating, right? And I love that there are people innovating, but, um, you know, there's, I think it's, I've, I, I'm like, happy and excited to see all that innovation happening because I know there's also like a, a stable home for assets in this ecosystem too, right? Which well, let's is talk about one. that for a second. A stable coin, I would argue, is one that should follow stability of the world. So you have a stable coin should follow the least changing, whether it's like currency unit, commodity units, maybe it's a basket of costs of different things around the world. The best thing we've had for 70 plus years is the dollar. So USDC and all stable coins are 90, you know, 90% based off of this relatively stable dollar. You and I, I'm assuming we're of the same age, grew up in this belief that the dollar is the end all be all like stability. Over the past three years, that's been cracking. And if we're going to live with this 7% inflation rate per year, 
even if it's only one or two years, if Bitcoin just grows a little bit more every year, see, Bitcoin doesn't need to five or 10x every year. You know, Bloomberg and all these people who are created these false narratives that Bitcoin needs to continue or all crypto. No, it just needs to beat out the incumbents. It needs to beat out the rest. And so here's my question. Could you see a world down the road because you need oracles and stability in, in what Audius does, especially for price discovery and making sure everyone gets their payouts. Could you see a world where the dollar, because it's less stable than Bitcoin is, that Bitcoin becomes a piece of the stability of the stable coin? Actually, I don't just see that potential future. I think that is our future, right? Um, and, and, uh, um, you know, it, it is, uh, it's unfortunate to say that, right? I mean, I'm, an American. I was born here. I grew up here. Um, and, and, uh, you just see, um, you know, the, the sort of, I mean, the writing is on, on the wall, um, you know, here in, in early 2022, right. Um, you know, the, the anecdotal evidence is, is clear and how it's starting to actually reflect in like the CPI and all that stuff too. Um, uh, uh but even, even in the absence of that, uh, uh, if you think about, you know, what is inflation, it's effectively an indirect form of tax on the, the people who are holding dollars, right? Because if the, if the government is growing the supply of dollars, um, they're able to effectively raise uh, uh, tax money for themselves without having to, you yeah. know, actually tax people, right? Um, and I think that that's where it's a bit sinister in that, like, we really don't know or have really people don't have a clear understanding of of what's kind of happening there. Um, and the unfortunate consequence, I, I think, has been that like wealthier folks have tended to actually benefit from inflation because they own assets that appreciate in value, uh, whereas folks who are dependent on uh, wage earnings, wages tend not to move with inflation very quickly. So, um, so anyway, I mean, I. These are all, I'm just naming a bunch of problems here. Like Bitcoin is not the solution to these things by any means, but it is, I think, the uh, the most effective like hedge that we have right now against instability in you know, our future. Do you know what it is? It allows us to talk about instability without being afraid of it. Bitcoin mm -hmm. enabled us all to talk about the, the turning, you know, the fourth turning or the, the change in society. We're going to change. Society changes. We saw that with coronavirus, every 10 years society changes, but we were so uncomfortable with it because we had these like archaic or barbaric systems in place, like even the concept of like paper money and et cetera, et cetera. Like, so now because we have the technologies, it's almost like we'll look back at like the year between 2000 and 2010 as like this epic upgrade of humanity. Maybe that's just me looking at it because I'm biased, but I don't know. I, I think we will. I, I agree with that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, I agree, you know, it, it's, it's obviously we don't know. Um, but if you think the probability of these events is, is, you know, some whatever percentage, uh, uh, wouldn't it be prudent to have a similar percentage of, you know, your assets and your, um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, resources, you know, kind of hedged against that potentiality, right? Um, I think there's so anyway. Um, uh, this all oh, gets like right. very, needs to very be like very, a, a hedge against the world. In the yeah, future. now we have that. That's the most important. Yeah, thing. 
Although the funnier things to think about that in, in a world that is like so unstable that electricity, internet, et cetera, uh, uh, also become scarcer resources. Um, how, how do we use our Bitcoin, right? That's that's like the, the you know, kind of the funnier, like, you know. That's a good point. But who knows? I think we're all hosed in that future anyway, right? I don't think I'm I'm not I'm not cut out for fighting uh, uh, fighting on the streets and and whatnot. You know, I think there will be a different generation of of people that uh, that that live in that future. You know, that's the scary thing to think about is is we think of the end of the world, we think of this like we're all fighting on the streets, and I'm like, yeah, if you have a rental property, then. The guy who lives in it can raise chickens and you can trade chickens for rent so you can eat. Like that's kind of how I look at how I'm going to protect myself. I'm, I started a garden over Christmas in my house cause I'm scared, but like I grew like three tomatoes. What am I going to do with that? You have a, you have a differentiated skill set that, that has value in, in the, in the future barter economy, right? Where, you know, we can't, uh, 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 you know, sit on our computers all day and, and make information. So, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, anyway, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, and with respect to, I guess, you know, Audius's take on this, like Audius is agnostic to what currency uh, users are, are transacting with their artists with. Um, so the way the network is, is structured Maybe right now it's any, um, you know, like uh, 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 SPL or ERC token is yeah. kind of, like equally fungible there um, in that, like, I mean, they're not fungible, but you know what I mean? They can, the network treats them all the same. It's like, whatever, like this, I just use the interface to transfer, uh, you know, X units to, to address Y. And I think that's what attracts, attracts people right now to Audius is that they kind of, they don't need to, to care over like the technology behind it. It's like, you can fly a plane. You don't need to know how to actually fly a plane to trust that you're flying in it and how you can benefit from it. So if you're not a creator, uh, why would you download Audius now? And what, like, tell us about the experience of down, you know, downloading Audius and getting involved. Yeah. So as a, as a creator, I think the, um, the reason folks are downloading Audius, signing up, uploading content is to, uh, to build a Web3 native fan base. Um, that's kind of the thing we we hear time and time again, like folks who want to be able to do NFT drops or, or do these sorts of things. Um, you can't just like show up to this community and and uh, launch an NFT and expect that to go well, right? Like you don't, you know, if, if you don't have fans that actually understand what these things are and how to interact with them, like no one's going to buy the thing. And, and we've seen those like flop over and over again um, because they're they're folks who come to you know cash grab right it, and it does it looks like a very nice um, cash grab but uh, uh, I think what folks are not realizing is the folks that are uh, uh, doing well and, and making a lot of uh, money doing those things have spent years like building uh, uh, an audience in this ecosystem and and now they're able to to leverage it so. Um, the user experience for a creator, though, is um, it's dead, simple, easy. I mean, you go to uh, audius.co, you sign up for an account uh, uh, with a username and password. Um, the client, like the, the um, uh, uh, Audius client that's running in your browser actually generates a wallet for you client side and encrypts it using way. that. Oh, what was that? Sorry. That's the OG way. All the wallets yeah. used to do that back in the day. They stopped doing that. For remember when you you go to the website, it generate like Insta Wallet generates the wallet yes. for you. I miss that. 
I do too. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 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 that's why we kind of copied that approach in Audius. Like we, we didn't come up with that by any stretch. Uh, um, it, uh, it, it's just, I mean, I, I think the, it's the safest way generating this, the, the private keys right on the client side. It's, and then tr- it seems to me like it, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, I mean, I, I think where there are, there are trade-offs to be fair is, um, you know, that, that private key is now sitting in the browser context, right? If there were someone had a malicious Chrome extension, for example, or there are like things that, that could happen, but the likelihood of those things compared to, uh, the likelihood that someone loses that seed phrase or that, uh, uh, you know, that, that, um, uh, uh, yeah, like, I think there's there's trade-offs that are worth making in the name of usability um, when the amounts of you know financial value are are relatively small, right? That you don't treat your wallet in your pocket the same way you treat uh, you know your your bank account or like your Bitcoin cold storage, right? And uh, uh, you know what? If you lose like the fifty bucks in your wallet and your credit cards, you're like, yeah, that sucks, but whatever, like it's, it's fine, you know. And uh, uh, that's the way we kind of. I would love to see more user experience in crypto evolve towards that mentality, which is as users start to become more, uh, uh, you know, financially successful in these ecosystems, et cetera, like you can upgrade them to more and more secure kind of uh, interaction models that maybe are higher friction, right? Whereas today, um, especially in in the Ethereum community, I I think the sentiment is to treat everything like, uh, like your life savings, right? Imagine if you had to plug your uh, uh, ledger in and like sign a transaction every time you listen to a track on Audius, right? Like who's gonna who's gonna do that? Uh, uh, but I've actually had folks tell us that that's how Audius should work and that it's irresponsible but that it works the way that it does. What I would say is every time I want to publish a new piece of content, I should have to go through the ledger. Like, like I think that's radar. fair. Yeah. Yeah. And and especially if you're an artist grossing meaningful value uh, via Audius, maybe you should be uh, using a hardware wallet to to withdraw those funds and, and do things like that. So I couldn't agree more with you. I, I think the uh, the trade offs here are sort of um, I guess creating a spectrum of security and allowing users to move along that spectrum as their usage model evolves over time. Um, you know, if you're the bedroom producer uploading a track for the first time and you know nothing about crypto, um, I think there should be a, a path for you to, you know, like spend two minutes and be able to upload that track without going through a whole yeah. lot of hoops. But, um, you know, the, the client can actually prompt you and say, hey, like you, you have a little bit too much money here. Like you should really switch to one of these solutions, right? Like or that. things like that. Yeah. I think that's that feels like it has to be the future here, right? Um, even, uh, you know, in the in the normal financial world, we have uh, kind of a version of this, right? Which is costs above a certain threshold you can't put on your credit card, right? Um, uh, you know, you, well, I, I guess there are some credit cards that let you no, do- No, but I do uh, like, I like, like that, but yeah. I like boundaries too. I like staying in my lane. I like bumpers. I like to know that there's a, a maximum on my credit card because what that does is it- it's t- what that does is it tells me that, hey, the credit card company has intelligence using my habits, and this is what it thinks that I can spend monthly without going over my means. And honestly, if I didn't have that limit, I'd personally go over. I'm bad at that. I don't like credit cards personally, but I know my addictive type of personalities. Most people don't. So like having that and actually like 
Uh, I actually wanted to ask you this before, and it reminded me. Do we have time? Yeah, we have time. Do you have time? You have an extra five minutes. I have okay. plenty of time. Yeah. So, I just feel bigger. bad. I'm delaying your next uh, thing. Hopefully. No, I emailed them and I said oh, I okay. need the podcast studio for another few minutes. They're they're cool. Um, in around Christmas time, um, Spotify released this like your year in review, your spent your listening habits, and what was so crazy. I was in the room with a lot of people when they got released, and we we're all sharing our stuff. It it mostly told us so many things about ourselves that we didn't know that we're happy we do know. And I'm hungry for that. And I started to think to myself, how much time have I wasted trying to learn about my body? Where if like from the minute I was born, all of that data, like, cause I've had surgeries on my eyes when I was 10 years old. There's no doctor alive that has that data anymore. But I want, I have eye issues. I need to know about my body. Same thing with audience and listening habits. Can this technology be now? Is this where the future is? Artificial intelligence, where, where, but as long as we owned that, as long as we owned that, is that where we're going? I think so. Um, I think that's exactly where we're going. And uh, um, this is uh, often an example I, I give to developers when, when kind of um, explaining to them one of the, some of the neat aspects of Audius. Um so your listening data is available to you, owned by you, and uh, uh, is you know you can go back through the whole history of time and look at you know uh, uh, or I think the Audius first party client doesn't expose the UI for this, but the data is there that you could go look at like what did I listen to on you know September twenty fifth in twenty nineteen right and like just go look and see. Um, but here's what's what's much more neat is. Uh, uh, because this is a decentralized network, um, our company doesn't hoard that data either, right? Our company has the same level of access to that as everyone else. Um, and they're actually folks in the community building their own recommender systems off of that same data. So imagine like, you know, you're, you're an AI student in college or whatever, and you like music. What a great way to, to you know, make a, a project and, and be able to... Uh, 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 you know, build your own neat recommender system. Um, and really and cool. to, yeah. And to create a whole cornucopia of different, um, recommendation structures to, to do exactly what, what you mentioned. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, that goes so far beyond like Spotify's ML team, but even that small team is, is able to produce like incredible things. And, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I uh, credit where credit is due. Like Spotify's year-end Wrapped and and all of their recommendation structures are phenomenal. I mean, they 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 really are a world-class uh, ML team over there, and they've done a really, really, really good job extending upon kind of the the really simple like collaborative filtering structures to to get to here. Um, but uh, uh, wouldn't it be so incredible if the whole world had a had a crack at that too? Yeah. Yeah, it would be. And let's not forget that Spotify built its original technology off of peer-to-peer files, uh, uh, peer-to-peer networks, BitTorrent, the same ethos of all that. So what you're doing is just kind of the next step in that like societal shift. And that shift told us all that we want to control, we want to own, we want to financially gain from all of this kind of human capital or proof of brain that we're putting out there. And that's a huge deal. 
Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Untold Stories and teaching us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's epic. Epic. Wow. Mind-blowing. Thank you so much.